Well, today, we, we are in the middle, I want to say in the middle, we're at the beginnings of our starting point series here at church. The question is, who is Jesus? Some of us come with understandings of who Jesus is as we grow up, and then as we start to be challenged by society, uh, our peers at school or at university, we can start to think to ourselves, the picture of Jesus that was shared with me when I was maybe small, or perhaps you didn't get to know about him till you later, or perhaps you're still trying to work out who that Jesus is. Well, today, we go on to the second part of that journey. The sermon today is entitled Coming to Terms. And it's coming to terms with the fact of who is this Jesus? The word that we're going to explore today is a word that is a theological term. And we, if you do not come from a Christian background and you're trying to work the whole thing out, it's a word that's a little bit foreign. It's a word you don't use at school. It's a word you don't use at university. And I doubt it's a word you use around your work colleagues, peers, husband, wife, etc., etc. It's not a word that we use. I'd invite you to just bow your heads where you are uh, before we look at this coming to terms with who Jesus is. Lord, I just want to thank you. Uh, we have already been blessed immeasurably this morning through the testimony of Jonah. And this afternoon, we are also going to be blessed through the testimony of Simon. And Lord, I know that they have family and friends here today, and, and we're, we're really stoked to be able to have them here with us. And Lord, I pray the words that I share now are words that are clear, not too complicated. And I pray you bless our time together. Amen. The word bless is an interesting one, because in the Greek, it means to be happy. So I hope we do have a happy time together, and you don't start throwing the letters from the uh, haystacks at me. Well, God is good. God loves all the little children of the world. God answers prayers. Well, that's what I was taught growing up. In fact, I grew up in a Christian home and a Christian tradition, and, and uh, those songs were sang at home, mum on the piano. They were sang at school when we would have morning worship at the Adventist school that I went to, the Christian school. And then I would go to like a Sunday school, Sabbath school, and they would sing it again. But there was a period of time where the who is Jesus left me. The who is Jesus. And I started to do things that theologians would call uh, going out and sinning. <laughs> it's a funny word, sinning. Because we don't use that word very much. If you haven't been brought up, as I said before, in a Christian home, you may never use that word. Evident in scriptures very early on in Genesis. And then we see the side effects of this three-letter word, sin, go through generations and generations, nation and nation, and then we see Jesus come along. And today we are going to look at a passage of scripture where Jesus deals with this three-letter word, sin. It's probably one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. For those of you from Refresh, I'm positive I've preached on this verse before. But as we go through this series on starting point, we need to actually remind ourselves that it's not actually sometimes just about us. 
Because there are people on the journey who are trying to work out, how do I start this journey with Jesus? The word sin. Today, we're going to turn in our Bibles. And if you've, you've got your Bibles there, I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 8. And we pick up Jesus and he is walking in a garden. And it's a very famous garden because down the track, this is going to be a significant garden where Jesus would be preparing himself for his death. It's a very, very significant garden. Okay, we're reading from the New Living, but I'm sure you've got a different, possibly a different version in front of you. But it all is fairly similar. John chapter 8, 1 to 11 tells us a story that was caught in sin. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. That is a significant mountain. But early in the next morning, he was back at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and sat, and he taught them. Verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of the law, the religious law, and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the whole crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman who's caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, the wicked stoner. Now, this is the question that sinful human beings will always pose to sinful human beings. What do you say? Because when we sin, it's all about tricks, manipulations, using your words against you. And I want to tell you how Jesus was completely and utterly opposed to that human characteristic of sin. It's within us. So what do you say? If you mark your Bible, that is one of the best little questions that you can underline. I don't know how you underline your phone, but on your Bible you can definitely do that because this is a question that has always been in the back of my head because a sinful human being comes to Jesus different motivations than trying to find Jesus, I think. What do you say? And this is where our Jesus tells us about this three-letter word called sin. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. In verse 7, they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, that's significant, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? The first time this lady speaks, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, and sin no more. It is one of the most powerful, moving, upfront, honest conversations in all of Scripture. And the reason it is so powerful is because the condition the woman went in was not pleasant. It was incredibly not pleasant. 
It would have been embarrassing. It would have been so confronting because they had, let's be honest, these religious leaders had tricked her. They had to have set her up because we don't find in this story a bloke. There's only the woman, the poor lady, caught in the very act of adultery. Well, that's not a place any of us want to be caught. In that sort of sin, there was no place for her to hide. In that condition, sin had its grip around her neck and the people that were there to accuse her and throw her in front of Jesus wanted to do more than just apply some pressure to her neck. They wanted to use an Old Testament scripture which says when you were caught in, the, in adultery, you should be to- taken out outside of, your, outside of your village or your town or outside of your camp and you should be stoned to death. Deuteronomy speaks about it. Jesus works at a completely radical, loving, grace-filled level with sinners. And thank God he does. Because Jesus demonstrates something that is so incredibly powerful that it can actually change a person's life. So when we ask the question in our starting point, who is Jesus? The word sin is significant because it is from sin that we can choose a life with him or continue a life of sin. A lot of people think there's huge alternatives in the middle. There's not. You either actively within your brain, you choose to live a life of sin. Now, we would often use the word, now, this is the word we use in the English. I made a mistake. A boo-boo. I found this guy, he's a pretty good looking fellow, and I took him home. That's the word that we use when we head down the path of sin. You never ever, well, I hope you don't, you are so sinful. Usually we say that was a bit of a mistake. We don't, now this would be dangerous, now Kara's not here, so I'm safe um, for at least 20 minutes. We would never say to our married partners when they got up in the morning and they put on that particularly good-looking dress and go, honey, that's a mistake. I'd be in serious trouble. But if I actually turned and said, Cara, that dress is sinful, she'd look at me and go, you're so weird. You're weirder than I thought you were. She'd be right. But we don't do that. When we get booked by Mr. Policeman, he doesn't come up and go, I'm going to hand you a sin citation. He doesn't do that. Well, it'd be funny if he did. He usually turns up and he says, Sir, here's your ticket. Have a good day. It's not such a good day. But you know what? This woman knew her condition. When she was thrown down in front of Jesus at his feet, she knew her condition. We could say she made some mistakes, but I want to tell you, life can just punch people down. We can make those mistakes, but the reality is the God that loves us loves us and the other person doesn't. The devil is not about creating peace and happiness in your life. This woman had made some mistakes. She'd sinned. But I want to tell you, when we sin, when we make mistakes, there is no better place to be 
and at the feet of Jesus. There is no safer place that you can have defend you in the universe than Jesus. Because this sinful woman who probably barely had time to grab even a cloak to put around her was thrown at the feet of Jesus in the mud and the dirt in front of a crowd. That would be the worst place to be. There was no one there to protect her except the one. You know, when we look at that starting point, I want to say to you, friends, wherever your journey is, we are so much better when we have Jesus at the start of our life, at the beginning of our day. It's the first part when we make a decision, any decision, we are so much better to have Jesus at the starting point of any decision in our life. This woman was at a point where she needed to make a huge decision. But at this point in time, she was left in a position of vulnerability. It's interesting in Scripture that we just read, Jesus gets down in the sand. The first time he gets down in the sand, it doesn't seem to make much difference with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. But this Scripture, and I've thought about this story and the implications that it has for my life, how good is it that Jesus was down low in the ground because that's where the woman was? Sometimes we forget that in the story. We want to read the next bit. But in the first part where Jesus stoops down in the sand, he's close to the woman. He gets up and they, and they say, well, what do you think we should do? That was the question. Then Jesus gets down. He doesn't need to prepare a sermonette. He doesn't need to be a lawyer and come out with his points. He just stoops down in the sand and he begins to write in the sand. Now, friends, it's really significant. When you read through and it says, from the eldest to the youngest, they left. The young ones have all the energy. <laughs> I'm learning that. When you turn 50, things don't work like they used to. Things hurt a bit more when you wake up from a life of abuse as a young fella. See, young people could learn too. Protect your knees, you know, like seriously. But as he begins to write in the sand, he begins to actually unlock the story of those men's lives. When Jesus uses his finger to write, you know it's significant because when we look in the Old Testament, God wrote with his hand. He wrote the Ten Commandments. The only time he ever writes God, there's some pretty significant stuff that's being shared. Jesus is stooped down in the ground, again, close to the woman. That's where she was, face down, probably tears and mud on her face. And Jesus stoops down and begins to write, they're rocks that they want to throw upon this woman's head. Now being put down. And from eldest to youngest. From the wise to the young, zealous. Because there's one thing that our Jesus can reveal, and this is really important for any, of, any one of us here, especially if we're starting to try and build a relationship with us. Jesus knows who we are. You can look at the person next to you and think to yourself, I'm probably sitting there because I know this person. Now, we sat together because we knew each other and our wives are like, they did the boldness, didn't they? John? But you know what? The reason that I sat down here and I love that John comes and sits down, we've known each other for a fair period of time. And I like to be somewhere near John because he'll actually sit in the front row, which 
virtually thanks to you guys, but pretty much, I don't know why we put out a front row, because no one ever sits in it, except usually John and I. But you know what? Jesus knew who the accusers were. The lady that was there, Jesus would, Jesus would spend time with her in a moment, but he actually needed to care for the accuser. This is interesting because sometimes we feel in ourselves that we are not worthy to come to the feet of Jesus because we are continuing to live a life of mistakes, sin. We're continuing to do it. And it's the Pharisees who think they've got it together that Jesus needs to minister to first. This is the power of our Jesus because he cares for everyone. As a kid, I love Jesus loves the little children. But here, Jesus loves the little children. He loves the zealous young adults. He loves the older dudes with sore knees. He loves all of us. So one by one, he deals with their sin problem, their mistakes. And the conviction of our Lord and Savior is powerful, more powerful than a rock, a sword, a spear, a gun, dynamite, way more powerful because as each of those old men began to leave, they left because they were confronted with the fact that they were religious, but they didn't know Jesus. They didn't know the Messiah of the world, and they left. And then Jesus looks around and there's only the young men. And eventually he begins to write in the sand to these young, zealous men with lots of energy, good knees. And they start to see the revelation of our Jesus and they realise too that they're in the presence of not just a seer, they're in the presence of the Messiah God. And they put their rocks down and they too leave. It's at that point we pick up that incredible verse, verse 10. If you've got it, just open to it quickly. Then Jesus stood up again, said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? You can't rush a conversion to Jesus. Give it time. In that time, the woman needed to actually clear the mud off her face, or as good as she could do. She needed to get the cloak and try and at least cover herself properly because she felt vulnerable. Where are, you, where are your accusers? Where are the people who say you've made lots of mistakes? Sins. Sins. Mistakes. And at that moment of the pause, her heart knows that she too has been with Jesus the Messiah. She didn't need to put down her rocks. But what she needed to do was to actually have a look deep down inside of herself. No, Lord. Probably the most powerful of responses you can almost find in Scripture. Because when we make mistakes and we sin, our Lord's ultimate goal is not to condemn, but to save. There is the rest of the passage that we need to finish, the last little line. And Jesus said, 
neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So friends, this isn't one of those one-off things that's like, well, I'm saved. I got saved once. It's all good. Jesus actually says, hey, there's a condition with it. You need to turn away from the life of making mistakes. Doesn't mean we're not going to make future mistakes. We are. But if we're going to truly, honestly understand who Jesus is, we need to understand that those mistakes or sins are the opposite of what our Lord wants for us. The complete opposite. Can you see it? Jesus wants to embrace each one of us. Jesus wants each one of us to not live a life of sin, but to live a life to the full. I'm going to invite our band to come forward and sing our last song, and then I'll be very happy to pray with you at the end. Thanks so much, Sean. It's, it's really cool to see um, that, that choice coming through and that, that God really embraces and he cares for each one of us. And it's what draws us closer to God. And um, we're so glad and happy to see the choices that have been made today. But it all starts somewhere. It all starts with a genuine pursuit of the Lord and a genuine um, passion for striving for closeness with God. And so as we sing this next song, I want to invite you, wherever you may be in your personal journey, to think about how you're genuinely pursuing God. And so I invite you to stand and sing with us. Sing, I close. I close my eyes to see my King and Majesty. Compares my soul to love and drawing close. I lift, I lift my hands and sing. Now until, now until forever, Jesus. 
of the sins in our lives but they they are sometimes the things that make us aware that we've actually wandered away from you and we need to draw closer to you and uh, Lord during this week I pray we're challenged I know next week we're going to look at the idea of why we're resisting starting a relationship with you Jesus and um, look forward to exploring that more and more Lord uh, we also want to pray a a special blessing over our senior students, our year 12s, uh, as they're preparing and 
getting ready to go into exams, Lord, our prayers are with them. And Lord, uh, we're thankful today that we're in this place nice and dry to worship you. And Lord, I pray also a blessing over our food today. And I pray that you bless our food and thank you for those who made it. And we all said, Amen. God bless you.